This morning, we read from Esther chapter 1, which is found on page 483 in the Pew Bibles. Some of you may remember the king of the Medes and the Persians, who is written about in Esther chapter 1 as Xerxes, and others may know him as King Ahasuerus. The reason for the difference in names is that Xerxes is the Greek transliteration of the Persian king's name, while Ahasuerus is the Hebrew designation of the same Persian king. So different versions of the Bible will have either Xerxes or Ahasuerus. And reading from the ESV this morning, we read about King Ahasuerus. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces in those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants, the army of Persia and Media, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vasti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vasti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Miris, Marcina, and Mamukin, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face, and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Mamukin said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only 
against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mamukin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province, province in its own script and to every people in its own language that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. And may the Lord bless the reading of this portion of his infallible word to each one of our lives, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Among the many questions that you might find in a Bible trivia game would be these. What book in the Bible never mentions God's name, not even one time? And what book in the Bible never mentions prayer? The answer to those questions is Esther. The name of God is never mentioned in the book, and prayer is never mentioned, although it does speak about fasting. And because of that, some see it as a controversial book, and some question whether it even belongs in the pages of Holy Scripture. Not only does it omit any direct reference to God, but it also has some racy content. Some people have expressed surprise that when Hollywood did the movie version, it was not R-rated. After all, the book opens with one of the biggest drinking parties imaginable. Verse 7 describes it this way, drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Neither Mardi Gras nor Germany's Oktoberfest could begin to compare with this party that King Ahasuerus threw. As usual, when excessive alcohol is involved, things go downhill rapidly. Vashti, the queen, an exquisitely beautiful woman, was asked to come out and parade her beauty for those present at the banquet. And when it says in verse 11 that Vashti was to appear wearing her royal crown, some commentators think that she was asked to appear wearing only the royal crown, and that is why she refused. And while we don't know for sure if that was the case, the rest of the book 
reveals the sordid side of a king with his harem, a side that Hollywood could have glamorized and tantalized with much nudity. And then to add to the drinking and the implicit nudity, there is violence. After the dramatic turn of events where Haman, the villain in the story of Esther, is hanged on his own gallows, the Jews put to death 75,000 of their enemies. Afterwards, they celebrated the Feast of Purim, a feast still celebrated today by the Jewish people. Again, the book of Esther doesn't have any mention of God's name. Not even one reference. No reference to prayer. All this drinking, carousing around, and bloodshed. Why is the book of Esther in the Bible? Some people ask, should the book of Esther be in the Bible? There is no doubt that the Holy Spirit inspired the book of Esther to be written. One of many reasons is there in Romans 15, verse 4, which says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We can have great hope, encouragement, and strength as we are reminded from Esther that even when God's name is not mentioned or is only mentioned as it is taken in vain and blasphemed, and even when prayer is not evident and society wallows in drugs and drunkenness, flaunting sexual perversion and lust, even in such a society, God is at work. Even though he may seem silent, God is behind the scenes working out his sovereign eternal plan according to his will. As God works behind the scenes, whether in Old Testament Persia or in your life and my life today, we are reminded that God rules over all earthly rulers and uses them for his own purposes. Even the weakest and most foolish of rulers are ordained by God and used by God for his purposes. As the chapter opens, the king is putting on quite the impressive show. In verse 3, we read about the great banquet he threw. And verse 4 describes his motive for doing so. He showed the riches of his royal glory and splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. After the banquet for the nobles and the officials, he threw that week-long party for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, verse 5 tells us. At that wine, at that party, the wine flowed freely, as verse 8 tells us, for the king had given orders to all his staff to do as each man desires. You want another drink? It's on the house. It's on the king. The wine flows abundantly. But by midway through the chapter, we see that this king is no great leader. He is a weak, indecisive king who gives a foolish request to his beautiful wife. He is rebuffed 
humiliated, and at wit's end, he, advise, he, he relies on the advice of others to get himself out of the situation that, that he brought about. Why is this sad slice of history inserted in the Bible? It is a reminder to us that even when corrupt, inept people come to power, God is in control. Political corruption and ineptitude were not unique to the reign of King Ahasuerus back in the days of the Medes and the Persians. We have more than our share today. We have been painfully reminded at many times just how corrupt, weak, and inept our own government can be. But through all the political corruption and ineptitude, we can be sure that God is yet at work behind the scenes, even when he seems silent. As Proverbs 21 verse 1 puts it, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the king, and he directs it wherever he wills. The stream of water in the hand of the Lord directing the king's heart wherever he wills. Daniel 4 verse 17 teaches the same truth the Most High, Daniel points out, is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. That is one of the themes in the prophecy of Daniel, that God is indeed the sovereign Lord over all history and over all earthly kings. God's sovereign rule was at work back in the days when Daniel was a captive in Babylon. God's sovereign rule was at work back in the days when Esther was living in the land of the Medes and the Persians. And his sovereign rule is at work today. Throughout all of history, God has been working behind the scenes, even when he seems silent. And that's one reason why the Holy Spirit inspired this account of Esther to be written. It reminds us, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Another reason why this little book of Esther is tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament is to show us that God's plans prevail even when human advisors give questionable advice and people take the wrong direction. From verse 13 on, the king tries to get himself out of the embarrassing situation of being rejected publicly by the queen. He calls his advisors and they give their advice. Some commentators see it as good advice and other commentators question that advice. I believe it was the wrong advice. What the king should have done was to apologize to his wife, sober up and send all of his drinking friends home. But I also realize that to do what would be right was too embarrassing for King Ahasuerus in his drunken state. Instead, he listened to his advisors and took a questionable path. But this, too, was from the Lord, whose name is never mentioned and yet is working behind the scenes 
even at this drunken banquet, even in that sordid, drunken party, God was working his sovereign will to bring Esther to be the next queen. Through her, the Lord would work to save the Jewish people from extermination by an extremely crafty and wicked foe, Haman, who was also a close friend of the king. God is behind the scenes, actively working, even when those scenes seem to have nothing at all to do with God. And that is always the case, not just in Persia so long ago, but in your life and my life today and in the lives of God's people in every age. Do you remember when Rehoboam became the king of Israel, he came to power after the death of his father Solomon? Jeroboam and the people of Israel said to King Rehoboam, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam asked the people to come back in three days. He wanted to seek advice on what he should do. Second Chronicles 10, verse 6 to 17 and also 1 Kings 12, verse 1 to 19, record those events. We read, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, If you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. In other words, they will be great citizens within your country. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and consulted the young men who had grown up with him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell the people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam. As the king had said, come back to me after three days. The king answered them harshly, rejecting the advice of the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. He scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And the scripture says, So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord. This turn of events, too, was from the Lord. Second Chronicles 10, 15 tells us to fulfill the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That action led to the split between Israel and Judah. The ten northern tribes of Israel broke away from Judah. It didn't seem as though God was at work when Israel and Judah split. 
Undoubtedly, there were many who were calling upon the name of the Lord and wondering why he didn't seem to answer their call. Yet God was working behind the scenes, just as he did in the days of Esther, just as he does today in your life and mine, in our church life, and the life of our nation and the nations of the world. When we see that God is truly behind the scenes, even when he may seem silent, we are also enabled to see why nothing can thwart God's plans. God's eternal plan centers on the redemption, protection, and glorification of his people for his own glory. In the cast of characters recorded in the book of Esther, there is a villain, the infamous Haman, son of Hamadatha, who is intent on putting all the Jewish people to death. And yet behind the scenes, God is already at work raising up Esther, an orphan Jewish girl, to be the next Persian queen, to be in the place of prominence to deliver God's people from Haman's plot. In the book of Esther, we read about this drunken banquet, the spurned king, the proud queen, the distinguished advisors. We don't read about God. We don't read his name. We don't read about people praying for wisdom and guidance, asking the Lord to give them his wisdom. But he is there behind the scenes doing exactly what he said he would do. Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11 declares the purpose of the Lord. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands firm forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And what is God's grand plan? What is the plan that keeps him working behind the scenes as it were? What are the plans of his heart throughout all generations? generations. God's eternal plan is centered on the glory, on his glory, in the redemption, protection, and glorification of his people, even when it seems as though he is not present. Nowhere did God seem more absent than at Mount Calvary. The agonized words of Jesus uh, summed up what seemed like the absence of his heavenly father. He cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And yet that agonized cry was for our sake, not for his. Christ knew from all eternity that he would bear the curse of the sins of all those who, by his grace, have saving faith in him alone. He knew from all eternity that bearing the curse of sin would require crucifixion, the shedding of his blood, being forsaken by his Father so that your sins and my sins could be covered, could be propitiated by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And in the place of our sin now covered by the blood of Christ, is the perfect record of Jesus' righteousness. 
And because he was forsaken, we who by God's grace have saving faith in him will never be forsaken. But the people, the people standing around the cross on that day of crucifixion thought God was absent. Matthew 27, verse 39 to 43 describes how those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. But even though the people thought God was absent from the scene, our triune God was powerfully present. As Peter told the people at Pentecost, as recorded in Acts 2, verse 22 to 24, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Yes, to the people, it seemed as though God was absent, but all those events at Calvary were brought about by God's own set purpose and foreknowledge. And after Jesus rose again from the dead, before ascending into heaven, he gave us that wonderful promise, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. At those times when God seems silent, when he seems absent, in the book of Esther, in the ridicule of Jesus being crucified on the cross, or in the struggles of your life and my life, God is yet very much present, for he has promised to be with us to the very end of the age, to never leave us nor forsake us, but to keep us in the palm of his hand in a powerful yet tender grip so that nothing and no one can snatch us from the hand of the Father and the hand of the Son as the Holy Spirit graciously indwells those who by God's grace have saving faith in Christ. How else does this unusual book of Esther apply to us this morning as we see the comfort of knowing that even when God doesn't seem present, he truly is? One further application is that knowing God's faithfulness to his people in the past encourages us in the present and gives us certain and steadfast hope for the future. We have all seen the instability of our nation and the nations of the world. Yet God is behind the scenes. We see the uncertainty in every election year. We don't know who will prevail in the electoral process. Yet God will work through that process according to his will. It doesn't take away our responsibility as citizens of our country 
And it doesn't take away our responsibility as dual citizens that our true citizenship is in heaven. But it does give us great comfort, both knowing that God is sovereign despite the leadership or lack of leadership in a nation, and also that our true citizenship isn't here on this earth, but in the glory of the heavenly kingdom. Not only is God at work behind the scenes in the events of a nation, God is also behind the scenes in the events of our church. His son is the head of the church, and his son treats the church not as a dictator or a self-centered CEO, but he treats the church with tender care, for he sees the church as his beloved and treasured bride. He knows the needs of the church as a whole, and he knows each individual need within the church. And he has designed the church as a human body, with each member unique. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 tells us. And though its parts are many, they form one body. And in that passage, the Holy Spirit goes on to explain how each member of the body is unique, and yet each member of the body is so essential to the body. Thus, in the body of Christ, we are to use our gifts to help others and to work for the unity, for the good of the body, even though each one of us is unique, having differing gifts and at times differing opinions and views, yet being essential to the body of Christ, members of the true church, his bride. God is always at work, even when he seems silent, He is yet working behind the scenes, not only in the life of nations, not only in the church, but God is always at work in the circumstances and situations of your life and my life. Sometimes, admittedly, it doesn't seem that way. Some of you face crucial health problems as we prayed for our sister Amber Green and continue to others within our church family suffer with a variety of illnesses and circumstances that are so hard. We all face an uncertain economic climate. We all face a variety of problems that when they unfold and unravel give us no indication that God is at work. In fact, Sometimes we wonder why God seems absent and why God seems silent when we have so much going on in our lives. Esther's uncle, Mordecai, who plays a leading role in the book of Esther, undoubtedly wondered also why sometimes God seems absent and silent. He may have wondered why is God silent when this evil king throws a drunken party. Why is God silent when this treacherous villain plans to exterminate the people of God? Why does God remain silent when this gallows 75 feet high is being built to hang one of God's people on to make a public spectacle of a believer in God? Why is God silent? Because he is working behind the scenes. 
working his grand plan of salvation, protection, and glorification of his people, and he does so for his own glory, that we may truly praise him now and praise him throughout all eternity. And when God seems silent in your life and in mine, then we need to do, as the Lord told the sons of Korah in Psalm 46, verse 10, where the Lord said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord is assuring us in a book like Esther and throughout Scripture that he is at work even in the complex and tragic situations of life to bring about our ultimate good, the salvation of our souls and a life of eternal glory with him in prayer in paradise. He says, in all the troubles and complexities of life, be still and know that I am God. He is working behind the scenes in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There are those who question why the book of Esther is in the pages of Holy Scripture. I have no doubt that it belongs. It reminds us that God is working behind the scenes today, just as he did so long ago in Persia. And it is through his word in the book of Esther and all the books of the Bible, that God, far from being silent, is speaking to us personally in words inspired by the Holy Spirit. If your faith is truly in Jesus Christ alone for salvation this morning, then you have great reason to be encouraged. The same God who rules the nations and holds the heart of the king in his hand, directing it like a watercourse, this same God sacrificed his only begotten son for your sins and mine. And because of that, next Sunday, when you take that element of bread and when you drink from that fruit of the vine, you can know with certainty that your sins are covered, propitiated by his precious blood. And in the place of your sin is that record of his righteous obedience. And because Jesus was forsaken on the cross, you and I will never, no, never be forsaken. Because of that, you and I have great reason to be filled with praise for our faithful God. Even now, he is at work behind the scenes in the nations of the world, in our church, in our personal lives, to him be the glory and the praise and the honor now and forevermore. Amen. Our Father and our God, in a world with so many problems and troubles, as the nations are turbulent and restless, as people's hearts are so far from you, we are thankful that you are yet at work that you are the sovereign Lord behind the scenes, working your grand plan for all the ages, the culmination of history into the glorious return of your son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for sinners, even though he is the ruler of the nations, one God with you and the Holy Spirit forever 
yet a man of great humility who was willing to suffer and die for us. Lord, whatever we face in our lives, may we face it with joy, with gratitude for who you are and for what you are doing as you work behind the scenes, as it were, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' precious